This is Classic Lutheran Preaching on KNNA LP 95.7, Lincoln, Nebraska. This is Pastor John Schmidt with an abridged presentation of Martin Luther's Sermon for Epiphany. This is from the John Nicholas Lenker Collection, published in 1905 and reissued by Baker Bookhouse in 1983. The text is from Matthew chapter 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written through the prophets, And thou, Bethlehem, land of Judah, art in no wise least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come forth a governor who shall be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod privately called the wise men and learned of them exactly what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search out exactly concerning the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I also may come and worship him. And they, having heard the king, went their way, and behold, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And they came into the house, and saw the young child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him, and opening their treasures, they offered unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed unto their own country another way. Thus far the text. This gospel speaks of the temporal coming of the heathen to Christ, by which their spiritual coming to Christ, mentioned in the epistle from Ephesians 3, is signified and commenced. It is both a terrifying and consoling gospel, terrifying to the great and wise, the self-satisfied and the mighty, because they all reject Christ, consoling to the humble and despised, because to them alone Christ is revealed. The evangelist first refers to Herod the king in order to recall the prophecy of Jacob the patriarch, who said in Genesis 49, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the obedience of the peoples be. From this prophecy it is evident that Christ must come when the kingdom or government of the Jews is taken from them, so that no other king or ruler from the house of Judah might sit on the throne. This was fulfilled now when Herod, who was not of the house of Judah, nor of Jewish descent, but of Edom, hence a foreigner, was made king over the Jews by the Romans to the great dissatisfaction of the Jewish people. Hence for thirty years he warred with them until he finally silenced and subdued them. Now when this foreigner had ruled over the Jews for thirty years, had taken possession of the government, and the Jews had acquiesced therein, having no hopes of getting rid of him, and thus the prophecy of Jacob was fulfilled, then the time was at hand. Then Christ came and was born unto this first stranger, and appeared according to the prophecy, as though he would say, The scepter has now departed from Judah, a stranger is ruling over my people. It is now time that I should appear and become king. The government now belongs to me. These wise men are usually called the three kings. As not much depends on this, we shall grant this opinion to the simple-minded people. However, it is not known whether there were two, three, or more. 
but they certainly came from the rich country of Arabia or Sheba, which is evident from their gifts, namely gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All three of these are very precious in that country. It can certainly not be assumed that they had bought these elsewhere, for it is customary in these eastern countries to do homage and make presents of the choice fruits and wealth of the country. Had these gifts of the wise men not been of their own country, why should they then have brought frankincense, myrrh, and gold produced in the land of Judea, instead of silver and precious stones, or fruits of some other country? Therefore these gifts were not presented to Christ like artists paint the scenery that one offers gold and other frankincense and the third myrrh, but they presented the gifts in common as one man. And probably there were quite a number present, a few of them being the leaders, just as now a prince or a city sends a few brave men as messengers to the emperor with presents. Verse 2. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and are come to worship him. Text and circumstances demand that we speak further about the natural philosophers or masters of nature, because here the wise men knew by the star of the birth of a king as they declared. Hence these wise men had nothing else in this star than a sign, and only used it as such according to the decree of God. Therefore astrologers and fortune-tellers cannot find encouragement for their false art in this gospel. For though these wise men may also have been infatuated by this art, in this case they use this star only as a sign. They do not at all foretell what Christ would be in the future, what should happen to him, do not concern themselves about it. They are satisfied that it was a sign of a great king, and only ask where he is to be found. And in order that Christ might forever stop the mouth of such babblers, he created for his birth a special new star, as yet unsullied by their babbling. Knowing that they might say he was born under the power of this star, he meets them beforehand and says, This star is not like one of those about which you are speculating. If the future fate of all men rests in the stars as you teach, then there can be no such power in this star, which is new and of a different nature than the other stars, of which you have hitherto not heard nor known anything. Again, if none of the other stars had any power over Christ, having his own new star, it follows that they have no power over any human being, because Christ was in every respect a man like other men. Furthermore, if this new star had no power over other men, existing only for a short time, it certainly had also no power over Christ, as he is just like all other men. For this reason, astrology is mere tomfoolery. Verse 3. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why are they troubled? Were not the Jews waiting for Christ, who was promised them by God, as we have seen from Genesis 49? Were not Simeon and Anna and many more pious people in Jerusalem at that time looking for Christ's coming and rejoicing in it? That Herod was troubled, there was good reason. He feared the loss of his kingdom because he well knew that he was a foreigner and merited the ill will of the Jews. He also knew that the Jews looked for the Christ who should deliver them as Moses has done. Troubled by his conscience, he feared an insurrection against him and that he would be driven from his kingdom. On the other hand, the Jews feared Herod and the Romans believing that to have a new king would mean much bloodshed for them. They had before this, to their great misfortune, revolted against the Romans and Herod. Hence they were minded like the people of Israel in Egypt, who, when Moses was to lead them out and they were oppressed more than before, murmured against Moses. This was a sign of their weak faith, just as this fear of the Jews at Jerusalem indicates unbelief and more trust in human than divine power. 
However, the true believers were not frightened, but rather rejoiced. And when the evangelist says that all Jerusalem was troubled together with Herod, he does not mean all the inhabitants and citizens of the city, but he speaks after the manner of the scriptures, namely, that when it mentions a city only, and not its inhabitants also, it means not all who dwelt in it, but the majority of them. Thus it is often said in the book of Joshua that he destroyed this and that city, killing all the inhabitants and whatever lived in it, but meaning only the largest part and number of them. Verse 4. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written through the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, land of Judah, art in no wise least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come forth a governor, who shall be shepherd of my people Israel. Here we ask, why did not Christ lead these wise men to Bethlehem by the star instead of allowing his birth, which was now known, to be learned from the scriptures? This was done that he might teach us to adhere to the scriptures and not depend on our own wisdom nor the teaching of any man. The scriptures have been given for a purpose. In them he desires to be found and nowhere else. Whoever despises and rejects these shall and will never find him. We have also heard in Luke 2 that the angel also gave the shepherds a sign, but not to Mary, nor to Joseph, nor to any other men, no matter how pious they were, but gave to them only the swaddling clothes and the manger in which he was wrapped and laid, that is, the writings of the prophets and the law. In these he is wrapped, they contain him, they speak only of him and bear witness of him. They are his sure sign, as he says himself, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and these are they which bear witness of me. And so Jesus speaks in John 5. And Paul says in Romans 3, A righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Furthermore, we also heard that Simeon and Anna represent the scriptures which manifest Christ and bear him in their arms. And according to Luke 16, Abraham would not grant the requests of Dives in hell, that Lazarus be sent to his brothers, but points to the scriptures, saying, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if one rise from the dead. But what does this gospel teach? In the first place, these wise men did not inquire after the chief priests and do not ask, Where is Annas or Caiaphas, or how did this or that man live? But they ask, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? Yes, Christ permits them to go astray and to seek him in Jerusalem, in the holy city, among the priests, the learned, and the royalty. But he is not found in the holy place, nor in the holy customs. Nor do they receive as an answer any human opinions, but only what the scriptures say about Christ, which alone are to be sought among the holy people and in holy places. Let Herod consult the priests and scribes. We will only inquire after the newborn king. Let the universities ask, where is Aristotle? Where is the Pope? Where does human reason teach? What says St. Bernard, St. Gregory, the church councils, and the learned doctors, and so forth? We ask, where is Christ? We are not satisfied until we hear what the scriptures say about him. We are not concerned as to how great and holy Jerusalem is, nor how great and mighty Rome may be. We seek neither Jerusalem nor Rome, but Christ the King in the scriptures. If we have the scriptures, we cast aside Herod the priests and the scribes, Jerusalem and Rome, and search in the scriptures till we find Jesus. Now, if Christ was to be a ruler over his own people, 
and his government could be neither temporal nor corporeal, but he must rule over the entire people, past, present, and future. Therefore he must be an eternal king, and this he can only be spiritually. But as God bestows on Christ his own government, he could not be a human being only. For it is not possible for God to bestow his glory, government, property, or people on one who is not true God, as he himself declares, and my glory I will not give to another. Again, if he shall come out of Bethlehem in time, then he must be a true and natural man. And this, namely, that Christ is God and man, is the cornerstone of Christian faith. Those are his own people in the true Israel who acknowledged him as such a ruler and permit him to rule and work in their hearts. From this we can easily conclude why Christ had to die and rise again in order to rule spiritually to all eternity. For though the passage here proves that he had to become a true natural man, it yet follows that he had to change this bodily life into a spiritual and visible life, as it was impossible for him to rule bodily as widely and as long as the prophets indicate. Verse 7. Then Herod privately called the wise men and learned of them exactly what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search out exactly concerning the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may also come and worship him. From this text we learn that the wise men were not kings nor princes, but common honest people like the learned and the clergy. Herod does not treat them as belonging to royalty, but he sends them to Bethlehem, tells them to attend to their mission, and, as if they were his subjects, commands them to bring him word again. Verse 9 And they, having heard the king, went their way, and, lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It is not said here that they promised the king to return, but that they heard his request to bring him word again. Yet it appears from the warning they received in a dream that in the simplicity of their hearts they were willing to return to Herod, not knowing his depravity nor his purpose, and thinking him to be an artless, honest man. We learn from this that the children of God may be so misled by the pleasing manners and false pretenses of unbelieving saints that they take that to be good which is not. But they do not always remain in deception, for they are directed and delivered, if need be, from heaven. Their hearing of the king, as mentioned by the evangelist, may also be understood to mean that they listened to the words of the prophet, that in Bethlehem was to be born the new king, for whom they inquired, and who was the object of their search. Verse 11. And they came into the house and saw the young child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him, and opening their treasures, they offered unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. It was diligently prevented that the wise men should find Christ through themselves or men. On the contrary, they found him alone through the scriptures of the prophet, and by the aid of the stars of heaven that there might be put to naught all natural ability, all human reason, all light outside of the spirit and of grace, which now boasts and pretends to teach the truth and lead people aright, as was said above, as is done in the universities. Here it is concluded that Christ, the knowledge of salvation, is not taught or acquired by human teaching or assistance, but the scriptures and divine light must reveal him, as he says in Matthew 16. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father who is in heaven. With this Christ distinctly casts aside flesh and blood with its revelation, that is, man and all human wisdom, 
which being nothing but darkness, cannot reveal Christ. Christ says in John 6, No man can come to me except the Father that hath sent me draw him. By this all boasting of human reason is condemned, since it cannot guide aright, and all who follow it must go astray. So strongly does God everywhere resist our natural haughtiness and will, that we may know we are blind, despair of our own light, put ourselves into his hands, and be led by him into the ways which reason cannot know nor follow. Verse 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Here it appears that those who believe in God enjoy his special protection. He has an eye upon these wise men, so that he keeps watch over their return and directs them in a dream. And why does he not allow them to return to Herod, since he could have shielded the child from all the world, even if Herod had known and found him? It is done for the purpose of teaching us not to tempt God. Whatever can be accomplished by ordinary means should be done. We should not presume upon faith and say in idleness, I trust in God, everything will grow that is supposed to grow. His creatures have no purpose if we make no use of them. In Genesis 1, he created and ordained all creatures with their works and indicated the use man should make of them. This will he never recall and ordain something special for you. Here the question arises, How can I strike the golden mean to believe and yet not tempt God? For you preach and praise faith alone and cannot extol it enough. Answer, You should not believe save where you have a word of God. It is the character and nature of faith to be built and rely on the word of God. Where there is no word of God, there cannot and shall not be any faith. Is this not stated clearly and positively enough? Hence the word of God is called in Scripture, Testament, Testimonies, Agreements, Covenants. As these postulate faith, nor did God ever command us to believe any of his works without his word. He who holds fast to the word alone trusts and abides in it, does not doubt that what God says will come to pass. He who does not dictate aim or time or means and ways, but resigns all freely to God's will and pleasure as to when, how, where, and by whom he will fulfill his word, he, I say, has a true living faith and does not nor cannot tempt God. Learn then what it means to tempt God. It is easily understood. It is a deficiency of true faith. To faith belongs above all the word of God as the foundation and rock of faith. No better distinction is to be had here than God's word. The worship which is there taught must surely be the true worship, but that which is set up beside God's word or outside of it, as invented by men, must certainly be the false Herod worship. Now the worship of God is nowhere established except in his commandments. For without doubt he alone serves God who keeps his commandments, just as a servant in the house is said to serve his master only when he does and attends to whatever his master bids him to do. However, if he does not do this, even if he otherwise does the will of the whole town, he is not said to serve his master. So then whoever does not keep God's commandments does not serve God, even though he keeps the teachings and commandments of men. Now the worship of God consists in this that you confess, honor, and love God with your whole heart. Put all your trust and confidence in him. Never doubt his goodness, either in life or in death, either in sins or in right living, as the first commandment teaches. To this we can attain through the merit and blood of Christ alone, who has gained for us and gives us such a heart 
if we hear and believe his word, for our nature cannot have such a heart of itself. Behold, this is the chief worship of God and the greatest thing, to wit, an upright Christian faith and love to God toward Christ. Therefore the first commandment is fulfilled by us through the precious blood of Christ, and God is faithfully served through the heart. This is truly good worship. This and nothing else God requires of you. If you do anything more, he does not value it. This is also clear and easily to be understood by everyone. Now you see that the true worship must be common to all classes and to all men, and only this alone dare to be found among God's people. And where another worship is found, it must certainly be false and misleading, as that is what will not be common to all, but limits itself to some special classes and men. Thus far we have spoken of the true, universal, and only worship. When the wise men came from Herod and turned to Bethlehem, the star appeared to them again, and they became very glad. This always happens when, after the error and deception of human teaching, the heart comes again to know the knowledge of the pure truth and of the gospel. Then at once it is free from Herod and sees how altogether certain and light the way of the truth is over against the appearances that the Herodians pretend. So the heart is made glad, for the gospel is a comforting doctrine which leads us out of human presumption into the confidence of the pure grace of God, as it says in Psalm 4. Again, all who wander in the teachings of men and in their own strength lead a hard, anxious life, and still it does not help them. What heart should not rejoice to discover that the Pope's rule is merely trouble and burden for the conscience, and that it deceives the whole world with its pretense? Heavenly light and truth has this nature, that it lifts up the conscience, comforts the heart, and creates a free spirit. Just as on the other hand, the teaching of man naturally oppresses the conscience, tortures the heart, and quenches the spirit. The star thus goes before them and does not leave them until it brings them to Christ. Yet it goes no further, but remains at rest over where the child is. So too the light of the Holy Gospel does. It is as a light in the darkness, as St. Peter calls it in Second Peter 1. And it goes before us and leads us, if we only cherish it with a strong faith. It does not leave us until it brings us to Christ and to the truth. But it goes no further, for besides Christ it teaches us nothing. Accordingly, in this leading of a star, the manner and work of the gospel is shown. And through the wise men, all believers. So that as the star led them bodily to Christ, and they followed it in the body, so the gospel spiritually guides the hearts of men in this world, and believing hearts see it and follow it with joy until they come to Christ. So too Paul boasts in 1 Corinthians 2, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in Colossians 2, he forbids us to follow any doctrine which does not teach Christ. What else is this, then, that the star points to Christ alone and nothing else and goes no further? In this figure, therefore, all doctrines of men are condemned and should no longer be preached to Christians, but only the pure, simple light of the gospel. It is to be preached, and we should follow this star only. Let this suffice. Amen. Listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.